Welcome to Wrong Opinions Only with your hosts Justin and Kayla. And this week we'll be diving into our movie review episode. And what are we reviewing this week, Kayla? All right, so we got military films today. So, I mean, I watch a ton of them. How about you? Um, I've seen, I guess, a good amount, but there were a lot you pointed out where I'm like, no, I haven't seen that, I haven't seen that, or I haven't seen that in 15 years, you know? Yes, yeah. I would say they're kind of scattered. Like, I feel like a bulk of them were, like, in the early 2000s, mid, and now I feel like they're not coming out so much, but... Well, I think 9-11 really spurred a lot of military movies, a lot of, uh, you know, uh, U.S. really proud movies, right? Like, proud to be an American, we're following the army, and they're going to take down the bad guys, and everybody kind of rallied around those for quite some time. Yes, because I think it was something current at the time that you could go, oh, wow, you know, we don't have to look at our history books and say this last time that I, you know, I haven't been through or seen or whatever. That was like a, you know, a true time event that was, you know, so big and um, really kind of brought everyone together in some ways. And I mean... Do you have a certain preference for what ones you like? I mean, war, right, is common. Sometimes there's the, like, after effect of war, right? So it's, like, people, like, kind of going back in society, like, historical, gritty. Um, Does it matter? Maybe kind of not? Putting, putting me on the spot here. I like more of the um, kind of the thriller... Uh, more of the CIA-based, like, okay. strategic, like, we need to find a way to make this work, and less of the actual, like, military going, guns a-blazing, and kill the dudes, you know? Something that involves a little bit more thinking and strategy. Do you like uh, that Amazon Prime show with John Krasinski? I have watched it. Um, Jack Ryan? Yes. Is it? Yeah. I've watched the first couple seasons. It's pretty good. I like it. It took me a little while, like, he's a big action star, yes, so it took me yeah. a second to get into, like, realizing that. And then after, I don't know if they're going to be bringing it back or not. I think so, yeah. Are they? Okay, because the first season I thought was really good, and then as most TV shows, you have to extend out seasons, and things get a little bit more unrealistic, a little bit more out there, and you're like, this is kind of pushing the boundary from what I, like, if it's something that can happen in real life... And that I think can happen in real life, I can watch that and be like, oh, that's super cool. But if it hits a certain point, I'm like, there's no way that's actually happening. Even if it does, and I just know nothing about it, I have less of an interest in it. You know what? This I just had an aha moment hearing you say that because this, I feel like now I'm replaying things we watch together. And yeah, you tend to kind of fade out when something becomes like ridiculous or like are you thinking about how i hate the fast and the furious uh, franchise well, i just think you haven't given a real college try um and if you do you'll love it but yeah <laughs> i mean even black widow um you know true when it started to get i mean even it's superhero it's all fantastical right but when it started to become like could she do that really um i can see your eyes kind of glaze over a bit and other stuff too so interesting Hmm. Yeah, I'd like to shed some light on my uh, personal experiences here, Kayla. So I'm glad you actually learned something about me today. Oh, yeah. You know, it. it's kind of sad. I mean, because then you don't have Dom catching Michelle Rodriguez as explosion <laughs> over a highway, landing on his back in a broken car, and having no internal damage. I mean, you miss those great moments yeah, in sound, cinema. It sounds really great. For sure. <laughs> who, uh, who got you into uh, to military movies? I assume that's not just something you were naturally drawn to as a young person. No, you know, it's not like I kind of, like, watched Full Metal Jacket, like, five years old. Whoops, got into it. No, my my dad was in the military, and he always was watching a military movie at some point. And so it was just, like, kind of a bonding thing we could watch together. 
Um, and, you know, that's why I've, I've seen such a wide range of them because if it's on TV, my dad's probably going to be sitting there watching it. Well, that explains a lot for when I was looking at movies to give you for this week and I kept listing off movies. You're like, nope, seen it, seen it, seen it, seen it, seen it, which most of the time she hasn't seen the most obvious of the <laughs> movies, but military movies, she's seen all the good ones that I've seen over the last 20 years. So You know what? You're right. Probably that's one of the one genres that I'm going to watch a good chunk of them, but otherwise you could say movies everyone's seen and um, I have no clue. That and then um, uh, French film, uh, period yeah, pieces. So yeah, so you know what I mean? That's culture. So, you know. Um, that is a wide range of interests. Um, but let's get right into it because we got a lot to cover. What movie did you choose for me? I chose the movie Fury for Kayla, which is starring our good old um, Brad Pitt. Yes, 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 uh, yes. It w- I remember watching it years ago and it was interesting. It was kind of not what I expected going into it. It was a bit of a different feel when she got into the movie and but it was still gritty and and tough and just a different perspective on kind of a period piece so i thought it was pretty interesting yes and i gave you the hurt locker um which i'm a big Catherine bigelow fan and i thought the film was a moment in time i could say close to the movie i saw mm-hmm. and i just thought it was just really good acting and it was a good movie it stuck out to me in the wide range of ones i've seen And that's it for our movie review this week. We'll catch you guys next week. Bye. (laughs) So, all right. Who wants to go first? You or me? How about you go first today? Okay. All right. So, my movie was Fury, and the same person who wrote it also directed it, David Ayer. Um, It came out October 17, 2014 in the U.S. It had a budget of 68 to 80 million and a box office of 211.8 million. So... Not too shabby. Has a Rotten Tomato score of 76%. Solid. Uh, It won a Hollywood Film Award for editing. It was one of the top 10 films and best cast for National Board of Review and the Virtuosos Award at the Santa Barbara International Film Festival. All right, so some fun facts. The movie was shot in 62 days. Um, Shia LaBeouf really went above and beyond to kind of make it realistic. He got a cut that he actually inflicted himself each time it was necessary to add realism to his performance. He also pulled out his own tooth and he didn't shower for weeks on end to relate to living in the trenches. And I heard that his co-stars didn't really appreciate that. He's a psycho. Mm, well, right. Yeah. Yeah. He's, he's a colorful character. Slightly problematic. Um, Shot in Oxfordshire, England, Brad Pitt said they had no rations, no showers, and were sleeping in the rain. It was miserable, but we loved it. So I think Shia LaBeouf went uh, above and beyond for himself, but I think they also kind of wanted that realistic experience. Speaking of which, they also went through a rigorous month-long course. Um, So they actually did a lot of training and preparation for the film. Um, The final task was manning a real tank during a combat scenario. Um, Brad Pitt, who was a lot older than his co-stars, participated in all the training, which was cool. Um, He was 50 at the time of filming. Um, And Pena did his own stunt driving for the tank. So when he drove in the film, that's actually him doing all of that work there. Yeah. Um, All of the extras are British military or former military. So that's, you know, you specifically have to get people who had that. So they really took that time to do that. Um, One scene had 350 extras. 
Um, Michael Pena's wooden cross you see hanging in the tank is the same cross he leaves on Mars in The Martian, if you've seen that film with Matt Damon. Great movie. Yeah, I think that's kind of cool to have props from big movies into other films and kind of like an Easter egg. Um, and it was the second World War II film to feature a genuine tiger tank. The first one was in 1950, and they were not divided. So they actually used a legit tank used in World War II. Wow, that's pretty intense, mm-hmm. huh? So that's pretty cool. So, all right, ready for this plot line? I'm going to try to condense in one minute. Are you ready, Kayla? <sighs> okay, I'm ready. Go. The movie begins in April 1945 during Western Allied invasion of Germany. Don Wardaddy, a U.S. Army first surgeon, commands M4 Sherman Easy 8 tank named Fury on its crew Bible, CS, Gordo, and Red, who fought together since the North African campaign. Red is killed by a German shell and is replaced with a private Norman Ellison, a clerk typist with no tank or combat experience. Yikes! Norman is super green and wants to keep his soul clean, so he fails to shoot Hitler youth kids who ambush the platoon leader and gets the crew killed. Later, he hesitates under fire with anti-tank buns. Two strikes. Don makes him shoot a German shoulder who is definitely traumatizing the tanks capture a small town don makes norman have sex with a german girl named emma and they play house the rest of the crew bully him and scare the women norman catches feelings and tells the woman he will write to her but the town is attacked and the building is blown up and emma dies sad they get an order to capture and hold a crossroads but en route they are ambushed and are the lone survivors Uh uh-oh when they get to the crossroads the ss battalion of 300 soldiers is on the way to attack them yikes five against 300 don decides to stay and tells the others to leave but all in loyalty they stay they all die in a terrible fashion with don and norman left in the tank and a shit ton of germans died don tells norman to escape out of the bottom and don is left to blow up norman hides under the tank and a young ss soldier sees norman under it but decides to spare him and not say anything norman is rescued and called a hero but he's clearly fucked for life Wow, Kayla, you are getting really good at these. I don't appreciate you stealing my thunder here. Um, There's no way I'm going to be able to do it quicker than that. You did yours in a minute, 11 seconds. Okay, all right. Wow, that's going to be tough to top. Um, Let's see. Are you ready? Oh, am I going right now? Oh, wait, yeah, sorry. (laughs) I was was too eager for you to go. Okay, all right. Not too shabby. Listen, for a scene, for a movie that didn't have a lot of events, a lot of things happened. Yeah. Um, so, listen, we talked a little bit about Shia LaBeouf, but I actually think he was remarkable in this film. He played this Christian man who kind of relates everything in war to a Bible verse. His nickname is Bible. They all um, military war nicknames in the movie. Um, and, like, follows God's plan. He preaches to the group of them often, and they're usually annoyed by it, but they don't disrespect his views. Like, they let him share his uh, moments. And in one scene, Brad Pitt is telling everyone that he's going to man this tank alone, and they leave him. And Bible says, like, what is your plan? And he stares at him, and his, like, eyes are glistening. They're all dirty. And then Don, Brad Pitt's character, stares at him back, and they have this, like, silent conversation there's not words exchanged by them, but you know that Don's telling Bible, like, I'm going to stay here and I'm going to die. And then Bible's asking him if he expects them to leave. Um, and so it it takes a lot to be able to act without words. Um, and so I just thought Shia LaBeouf stood out to me, surprisingly. I didn't, when I saw he was in the film, I did not expect that. Yeah. Um, but I actually thought he did, like, a really good job of being, like, an emotional connection in the film outside of Norman. So he had some great lines, too. There's a moment when he... They're, um, you know, essentially they're at the end. They ha- they're told to hold this crossroads, um, and they're just five people in a tank and then this battalion of 300 soldiers are coming right so 
They're going to die. It's inevitable. They can't kill everyone. Uh, but Don, Brad Pitt's character, is going to say, you know, like, I'm going down with this tank. I'm going to do as much damage as I can. You guys go. And then they're like, you know, I can't believe we're doing this, but we're not going to leave you. Yeah. And they all kind of decide basically to die together in that moment. Um, and so Bible says, you know, there, here's a Bible verse I think about sometimes. It goes, and I heard the voice of the Lord saying, whom shall I send and who will go for us? And I said, here I am, send me. And then Norman, um, who's this character that basically the audience is kind of Norman. And I like that they had Norman kind of be the audience's way to see it, you know, because if you haven't been in the military, haven't experienced it, sometimes it's hard to really relate. It's always going to be an outside perspective. I think for a lot of things, you can kind of relate in some ways, but I just feel like military and war and that stuff is just so, if you haven't, like, experienced it, it's just, it's really hard to... Portray. Yeah, to yeah. portray or relate or feel like, well, I, I kind of know something about that, you know? Mm-hmm. It's like people who... Um, give advice and they haven't exactly been through it. Sometimes you can kind of relate to it, but I feel like it's just, if you have experienced it, it's just not comparable. Um, but, but that moment of who shall I send, who will go for us? And it's like, you know, they signed up for it and they said, send me like, and, and Bible's whole thing throughout the movie is, you know, you think war, death, killing that kind of is in conflict. Really. If you look at the Bible, it's not in conflict. (laughs) Um, but he kind of does it like I'm the instrument, like I'm doing good. Like, you know, at one point, War Daddy, who is uh, Brad Pitt's character's yeah. name, <laughs> says, um, you know, but Boyd, Bible, do you think Jesus loved Hitler? And he goes, do I think Jesus loves Hitler? I assume so. If Hitler accepted Jesus into his heart and got baptized, he'd be saved. Ain't going to save him from man's justice. You know, it's like this correlation of it's, it seems like it's a complete opposite, being like super religious and doing good and then like killing at the same time. But... I thought he did a really good job of it, and I think that aspect, like, you know, religion can give people a lot of courage to do things. Um, I think it can give you courage to do good and bad things, um, but I thought his character just was really good. I was I was surprised. So, back to Norman. Norman is, basically, they don't go into too much of how he joined the military, but he joined to be a typist. He types. And then he gets told, guess what? You're going on the front lines. You're going to drive a tank. He has no combat experience, has not driven a tank, has never held a gun. Um, And War Daddy has this group of veteran crew that always are in this tank. Fury is the name of the tank. Um, And so he's looking at Norman, 18, you know, green, no experience. And he's like, this kid's going to get me killed. And and several times Norman puts him in trouble because he doesn't really want to kill anyone. Um, in the beginning of the film, he there's like Hitler youth that come out and he doesn't want to shoot them and then he ends up getting people killed. And, and Brad Pitt's character has to go, uh, you hesitating is us all dying. Like, yeah. you need to get it together. Um, so I got to say, a big surprise of the film is how violent and graphic it is. Um, I'm not squeamish whatsoever, but the first 15 seconds, Brad Pitt's character kills someone by stabbing them through the eye. Ten minutes later, Norman is forced to clean the blood in the tank and finds a chunk of someone's face in it. And then 20 minutes later, children are being gunned down. And so it's like, this is definitely not a film for someone that yeah. uh, finds any of those things to be too hard to watch. But I w- it was like kind of bam, 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 something like grotesque or gross. And... 
I mean, to be fair, that, you know, the movie's not for the light of heart, like I said, but... You know, I don't think the violence or graphic depictions were done just for the shock of it. I think it really was like the grittiness and death and violence was obviously a part of World War II. And so I didn't think it was just a Michael Bay explosion for explosion's <laughs> sake. But it definitely was like, oh, this is not like a lighthearted military film if you could ever have one, you know? So you think it, it added something to the film to kind of show you that much kind of gore and detail? Yes. Yeah, yeah. I think it was like... This is it. This is a, our realistic portrayal of a day-to-day, which was not, like, clean people. It was dirty people in a tank for weeks, smoking, um, and guess what? Someone you've worked with for five years just blew up next to you. you got to keep it going. Like, as jarring as that is to watch, I'm sure that was the reality of what was happening. And so it's, like, jarring as an audience member to watch, but um, I felt like it really added the realness to it. Yeah. Um, what else? I mean, I think the end was difficult to watch because, again, like I said, it was one tank, five men against 300 German soldiers. So when Brad Pitt's character is, Don is like, you guys go, and he's starting to like prep the tank. And they're looking at him like, are you kidding me? Let's get out of here. And like I said, they have that like quick, I mean, just a minute to think like, okay, are we all going to die? Because that's essentially what mm-hmm. they're deciding to do. I mean, regardless if they take as many as they can out, it's inevitable. And so having them all go, okay, we're we're going to die together is just like kind of like hair-raising moment. Um, See, I like when uh, when the movie movies don't always end in the happy ending where it is okay, this is more back to realistic, right? If you're in that situation, you're not getting out of that, right? And loyalty, you know, is a big yes, thing. And yes. they weren't going to leave them behind. And I kind of liked how that all played out. Mm-hmm. It's tough to watch. It's not kind of what you're rooting for when you're watching it. But when you reflect on the movie after the fact, you're like, that was really well done. That really closed the loop on that whole scenario pretty well, I thought. Yes, and I think the film... For, for what it was, because it's, you know, I read that someone had a problem with the emotional connections of some of the characters because the movie is really a, a series of events after the fact. So um, when the movie starts, um, where we're brought into the film, the veteran crew in this tank are already established. They've fought together for years. You don't see that. They have nicknames they earn. You don't see why. And they have these shared traumas that you don't watch. It's just they're already together. They fought together. Um, and I, you only kind of get glimpses of their past and how they got to the point they're in. So I think, you know, the very nature of the film War Death, right, immediately creates those emotional connections, I think. You know, I don't think you need to know how Bible found Christianity to care if he gets blown up or not. Or, or C.S. is the bully in the film, much like the character he plays in The Walking Dead <laughs> or The Punisher. But clearly what he experiences has made him into this asshole. Um, you know, the, the movie is comprised of only a few events. Um... From when they get together, this town scene, this crossroads, really, I could boil it down to three areas. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and like I said, Norman is this character that's your audience, right? If you haven't been in the military, you're, you're Norman. You're going, I just wanted to type. How am I in a tank right now? And people are getting blown up. You know, he's this 18-year-old that just thought he would kind of type his way out. Um, you know, Don is, um, 
upset with him because he's too scared to shoot kids, even though they have guns, and he refused to kill an SS soldier. You know, Norman wants to stay pure in this war. Like, I'm just going to type and get out and have nothing. I did nothing too terrible. Um, you know, the turning point is when Norman is kind of forced to sleep with this German girl, Emma, by dawn in this town that they kind of rescued. Um, and then after they have sex, the building's blown up, and she's dead in the rubble. And he kind of experiences that, like, direct loss. Like, you know, he's saying goodbye to her, like, I'll write to you somehow, and he's going to the tank, and then she's dead, like, a minute later. Mm -hmm. uh, he didn't even leave the town yet. And so... I forgot about that scene, yeah. Yeah, it was pretty sad, you know. And up to that point, Norman was like, I got to get out of here. Like, this is too much. I don't want to do this. Having experienced a direct loss, like a connection with someone who died, totally changed Norman. Like, then he's gunning down Nazis and he's willing to die. You know, he agrees to stay in the tank at the end. Um, and so, yeah, I just thought, I thought it was a great film with conveying that. It took, even though, like I said, the events were short, it uh, really kind of took you on that journey. Like, I was invested from the get-go. Um, and I think the movie did a good job of showing the multiple sides of people in war. You know, in the end, they did a heroic thing. They took down a ton of Nazis. I mean, at the end, the last shot is the tank. Um, and then it's just dead bodies all around it, like hundreds. So they did a lot of damage with this tank. Um, you know, they did this heroic thing, but they weren't heroes in a lot of ways. I mean, Norman and Emma were smiling after they got together, but it wasn't really in pure consenting terms. She had no choice. Yeah. It was like, we took over this town, you're German, you're going to sleep with these soldiers. Um, you know, Norman just happened to be the lesser of evils and Brad Pitt's character. Um, and there were other examples outside of Cambit that showed, you know, people are multifaceted, right? Sometimes it's not just black and white and it's not just good and evil and that sometimes good people are evil and vice versa. And so I thought the movie did good. I mean, at the end, I'm not going to lie, I was choking up a bit at the end, like just seeing them basically go down one by one and then Norman escapes. Um, Brad Pitt tells him like, because he's like, I'm scared and Brad Pitt's character's like, I'm scared too. And he's like, I want, Norman's like, I want to surrender and Don's like, don't do that because they're going to hurt you real bad. And he goes, then they're going to kill you real bad. Yeah. And Norman's like, terrified. <laughs> and then he's like, bombs get dropped in the tank and he goes, get out of the hatch. And then it kind of had this special moment where Norman's hiding under the tank and this probably same age um, SS soldier is there and sees him with a flashlight and Norman just puts his hands up like scared and the soldier just kind of smiles at him and turns his flashlight off and keeps it moving like chose to spare him and I don't know if that was a moment they were trying to show you know I mean when they have a Hitler youth you're seeing 10 12 year olds fight which was really what happened um you know at the end the last ditch effort of Hitler was to put kids out in the front lines um and so seeing someone on the other side of well, I'm not saying I'm rooting for the Nazi, it just showed this, like, moment of we're the same age, maybe, and he was just, like, in that moment, you're not going to do anything, I'll leave you. And so Normie gets called a hero at the end as he's rescued by other allies, and he clearly is messed up for life. Yeah. You know, there's not really going back any more from that, and so it was just emotionally a lot. I think the characters were really good, um, and... Like I said, it's not for the lighthearted, but I, I thought it was a great film. 
What do you think it is about Brad Pitt that he just loves killing Nazis in movies? He loves <laughs> it. And you know what? He was a little more tortured in this one than in Glorious Bastards. Yeah. Like, in Glorious Bastards, he was having fun with it. Yeah, he was charismatic. Yes. Like, Let's go. Yeah. And in this one, he, he enjoyed killing them here, too. But he was a little, like... You know, at this point, he said he had been in Africa during the war. He had been here, and then Germany was the last part. Um, and you know, of course, the Americans coming in was towards the end of the war. And so it was it was interesting. Yeah, I liked both. I mean, Brad Pitt, man, what can he not do? Not much. Generally asking. <laughs> I don't know. I really don't know. So I just thought, yeah, and it was a great cast, I gotta say. So yeah, the cast was loaded mm-hmm. for that. I'm surprised it didn't do better based on the cast. I'm sure that's why I bought it or watched it because the cast looked amazing, and I didn't remember too much details. Once you started going into your view, mm-hmm. it all started kind of coming back to me. I remembered not loving the movie, not hating the movie. I was mm-hmm. kind of like, all right, it's not bad, okay. Mm-hmm. And then as you went through everything, I'm like, oh, there were a lot of really good parts. And I think it's one of those movies where I watched it once. I'm glad I watched it once. But it's not one I'm going to, like, seek out to watch again because it is so heavy. You need to be in such a mental state to kind of watch that. I agree. Like, you definitely need time, I think, between. Like, a moment, like, now where you haven't seen it in a while. And you're like, let me watch it again to see, like, what it was about and stuff. And, I mean, the, the writer, of course, like I said, also directed it. He did Training Day. He wrote it. He wrote the amazing, of course, Fast and Furious. Oh, my goodness. You know, that started the glorious <laughs> franchise that it is now. Um, you know, he did SWAT. So, I mean, he has experience in these type of films. He also directed one of your wife's favorite movies, Suicide, Suicide Squad. Squad. Yeah. Yeah. So, <laughs> Such I mean, a weird favorite movie. <laughs> so, you know, it, it. he has experience with this type of ones. And, you know, those, although they are action shooting, there is you know, an investment in the story and the people. And so, yeah, I think that's it for me for Fury. All right, so now I will go into The Hurt Locker. So if you guys have not seen this movie, another military movie came out in 2008, uh, 131 minutes long, a little over two hours. It's available on Peacock, which I thought I was gonna have to pay for it first. But I was able to do a free Peacock service. So Kayla's trying to find a way for me to pay for these movies. But so far, so good, I found my way around it. It was directed by Catherine Bigelow, who is an awesome director, as Kayla mentioned before. She also directed Zero Dark Thirty, which I watched within the last couple weeks as I was prepping for this movie. And Point Break. Curveball. Point Break, amazing movie, by the way. The remake, no. But the original Point Break on point Catherine Bigelow clearly has kind of a knack for these wartime gritty type movies so I was pretty excited to see that she directed it the cast is led by Jeremy Renner he is Sergeant James he's the lead in the movie Uh, you have Anthony Mackie is kind of the number two his name is Sanborn or that's his code name obviously Anthony Mackie you know Falcon from uh, the Marvel Universe he's in a million other movies as kind of a supporting actor uh, Brian Garrity is Owen. Uh, he's also been in a ton of TV and TV movies. Never really a lead guy. Always kind of like a, a character type actor. And then you have Guy Pierce, which at the time was probably the most well-known actor in the movie. And he was only in the movie for about five minutes. So, yeah, and it won quite a few awards. So it won six Academy Awards for Best Picture, Best Director, Original Screenplay, Sound Editing, Sound Mixing, and Film Editing. And it lost in Best Actor, Original Score, and Cinematography. So 
it cleaned up Oscar season. It beat out Avatar for Best Picture, which was a big controversy at the time for the amount of, you know, hype that went into Avatar, the time, kind of the whole, we are changing the way movies are made with how we're doing the effects with such a big movie. But The Hurt Locker beat it out, which I was a little surprised looking back. I knew it won the Oscar, but I didn't realize it was the same year that Avatar was also nominated. It had a $15 million budget, so a very low budget. Uh, It seems to have gotten a lot of the big actors before they really blew up. Like, Renner was in a few things before, but nothing really kicked through until after this movie when he went in to the town one of my favorites the avengers franchise is hawkeye obviously and then he was even in uh the born legacy you know he had his own spinoff there of the born movies so i never saw those what oh my goodness <laughs> i hear they're good though so good so good his was the worst one because it was matt damon's franchise and he went in there for one movie but this clearly kind of catapulted him to a new level of stardom which is justified because he was so good in this movie. Box office, it only made 17 million US, 49 million worldwide on a $15 million budget. So it did not do well, did not make a lot of money, but it was very well received by critics and it was a 97 critic score on Rotten Tomatoes, 84 audience score. So, wow. Yeah, it was. People really loved the movie when they watched it, but clearly not a lot of people watched it in the theaters. I wonder if it was like word of mouth when it came out after theaters and then people, you know, got that critical acclaim part. Maybe. And also, you know, once it wins the Oscar, I'm sure. Yeah. Oh, yeah. You know, everything goes up from there. So, so, uh, let me see if I can get into my little, uh, quick recap. I don't think I'm going to be able to touch Kayla's. She's been crushing me the last couple, uh, times we've done these movie reviews. Yeah, I have faith. Hold on, let me crack my knuckles here. Ooh, I wonder if that came over across the mic, because that was loud. Let me know when I'm good, Kayla. Three, two, one. All right, you open up in 2004 Baghdad following a bomb squad. They're trying to keep their distance, analyzing a situation with the rover, but they're forced to have their head uh, their head guy, Thompson, approaching a crazy bomb suit. Owen, one of the guys, fucks up and does not shoot down a guy that he sees with a cell phone who then detonates the bomb, kills Thompson. Cue Jeremy Renner showing up as... Sergeant James filling in the spot for Thompson. Clearly, Thompson was a very liked person. Nobody really likes James, and he doesn't really give a shit as he's listening to metal on day one. He's immediately portrayed as kind of the brilliant renegade guy that doesn't give a shit. Their first mission together, he says, I don't need no rover. He goes in his suit and just starts approaching things, doesn't communicate with his team as, at all, starts throwing smoke bombs to distract people, doesn't really care if he lives or dies. He finds like eight bombs all tied together and dismantles them by hand, just whatever, like calmly as can be. Owen is really beating himself up over Thompson's death because he didn't kill the guy who had the cell phone that detonated the bomb earlier on so he is just really starting to annoy everybody with all his talks or death 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 uh anthony mackie mackie aka sanborn is second in command he's pissed at james because that's not how they operate they need to communicate better more bomb scares including a car one that somebody shoots while james is approaching it goes on fire he calmly just puts it out with a uh, fire extinguisher then he takes all of his equipment off and everybody starts freaking out because he said he wants to be comfortable when he detonates this because if he screws up everybody's going to die anyway then he rips off his headset because he's frustrated with Sanborn constantly asking for status updates, refused to leave the, the car until he figures it out and dismantles the bomb. He's clearly a crazy person. It's revealed he's disarmed 873 bombs in his life. Sand, Sanborn contemplates accidentally setting off a bomb while James is near in order to kill him, but doesn't. They get caught up in another attack in the middle of nowhere with some other uh, American folks. Multiple people killed. They have a stare down with snipers 850 meters out. Bang, bang, shoot him down. Owen notices somebody approaching from behind. Doesn't have to hesitate. Actually kills him this time. Redeems 
himself from earlier. They bond over this crazy experience. They have a great time, start fighting, drinking uh, whiskey and stuff, and just beating the hell out of each other. James has an ex-wife and a kid. What? Curveball. Uh, more bomb scares. Owen basically uh, gets this doc, Colonel Cambridge, killed by convincing him to come out with the crew, and he steps on an IED. James has a bit of a breakdown because this kid dies that he was developing a bond with, escapes the base, and gets back in the middle of the night just in time for another job. Still reeling and breaking down, he decides to take his whole crew out to try to find the culprit from the latest bomb nearby. Owen ends up being captured and uh, fractures nine, his femur in nine places. Yikes, not great. Two days left, one more guy in a vest in the middle of the street. James approaches against the, everybody's will. He tries to disarm it, but it's just steel frame, tons of locks, a timer on it for two minutes. He can't get through. He looks at the guy, he apologizes. Finally, he runs away and survives. Uh, cue him going into a grocery store after he leaves. He's clearly bored and does not feel like he belongs there. He needs the action in his life. He needs to go back, and so he does. Two minutes and Damn 42 it. seconds. That was a lot to happen in the film. Two, four. And that's not, that's embarrassing. I should try again. <laughs> All right, go ahead. <laughs> Take a deep breath. Oh, my God. Oh, that was not great. All right. Well. Clearly two minutes and 42 seconds. I probably got all the important stuff out of the way anyway. Yeah, I think so. Wow. So much happened in that film. I need to... Kayla is starting to turn me into this person who takes too many notes. (laughs) So now I have too much to reveal in my quick recaps and I'm dropping the ball here. But I thought it was a a very good movie. Kayla, obviously Jeremy Renner was awesome in it as kind of that, that renegade. I don't care if I live or die. I just... Like he's obsessed with like solving the mystery disarming these bombs and he like refuses to leave situations without like disarming them which is almost kills him multiple times and that's just what it is and his new crew needs to understand that that's how he operates because he's not changing for anybody i'm still kind of talking the fast mode because i'm thinking I'm in the <laughs> yeah way. i know you're still the timer's off you're good you're good i'm off okay there we go <laughs> uh so when it starts off and you have uh, guy pierce's character thompson is kind of everybody loves and he's navigating this rover up to a a very uh, difficult to find bomb under rubble and they're trying to analyze it through the rover's camera and then it turns into oh well I guess I'm going to have to put on the suit and go over there watch my back then he ends up dying and they're all baffled when Jeremy Renner's character shows up and it's just like we don't need no stinking rover give me the suit I'm going out there screw this like just watch my back I'm going out there in the suit every time I don't need any of this technology crap I'll look at it myself, which I thought was highly entertaining right off the bat. Owen, the guy who um, missed the detonator for Thompson, that killed Thompson, just really beat himself up. He kept talking with uh, the doctor, uh, Colonel uh, Cambridge, about his issues and how it doesn't matter how long you're going to be there, you're going to die. Death just finds everybody here. It's bullshit. And the doc keeps trying to talk to him to try to calm him down throughout the movie. They have three or four different interactions. And at one time, he kind of freaks out on him. And he's just like, you don't know, doc. You sit behind a desk all day. You don't go out there. You don't see what we deal with on a daily basis. You can't possibly begin to understand. So, you know, a few weeks later, the doc goes out with the crew. And, of course... As they set it up the whole time, he's talking to people. He's like, you got to move. You got to move. Trying to be nice. And in my notes, I literally write, okay, the doc's out. He's definitely going to die. Yep, IED killed doc. Because he brings him out here. He's not familiar with it. He's not prepared to deal with all these situations. Obviously, something was a little off than they anticipated. And he steps on an IED and just gets blown up, which Owen 
freaks out again because this time he's like this is my fault like i brought him here like what am i doing i i just saw him now he's dead like how do you even cope with like the loss when you think you're the direct person responsible for two people like you know that's difficult to deal with so they kind of are are all kind of at odds for the first probably seven eh, 60 percent of the movie and when they get to the point where they have this massive kind of stare down in the desert with um, snipers that are gunning down them and these random other U.S. soldiers that they find that had some uh, some captives, they're there for hours and hours and just they run out of water and they pull out a caprice on it at one point, which I thought was yeah. <laughs> pretty entertaining. <laughs> And they're just sitting there trying not, they don't want to be the first person to move. So if they didn't get everybody, kill everybody from the opposing side, that they'd be done for. So they're there just waiting and waiting and waiting. There's a random, obviously, building in the middle of nowhere that people were in and out of that they were shooting down. And Owen was not up with um, with Sanborn and James doing the sniping and scoping, but he was down kind of in the ditch looking around like giving them water when they need and everything and he is the one who noticed somebody approaching them from behind in the middle of a whole bunch of uh i don't know remember if it was cows or goats or something he's like i think i see i think i see something back there like somebody's moving what do i do because he's like scared because he didn't pull the trigger the first time and james has been kind of tough love but kind of trying to bring him along like we need to get you the confidence like it's okay, you're doing good. He kept calling him Buddy the, the whole movie, which mm-hmm. kind of like, I guess, to make him feel more comfortable. But then uh, he's just like, hey, man, it's your call, whatever you need to do. They don't turn around. They don't even acknowledge it. They know there's a guy back there with a gun, and they're like, he needs to handle this. Let's see what he does. You hear him take a few shots, he kills the guy. He's like, I got him. And he's just like, good. Good job. Mm-hmm. Like, I'm gl- you did good, kid. You did good. And thank goodness you did, because otherwise we were screwed. <laughs> yes. I mean, I think we can all relate to having um, some something you're doing, like someone affecting you in some way, right? Someone doesn't do a report that you need done, you're affected that way. But when it's like high stakes, like you don't do something, I die. It yeah. just, the, the emotional element of like, my life is dependent on you. And that's why you have that like, brotherhood sisterhood like i we depend on each other literally to live and that's why sanborn freaked out with their first mission together when james is just like i'm going in the suit screw this he just leaves and sanborn's like where you at how far out are you what are you doing and he's just like not responding he's Mm -hmm. like i'm not like shut the fuck up man like calm down i'm going to disarm this bomb and he's freaking out he's like no if you like we're all liable here it's not just you by yourself let's figure this shit out but it is just the dynamic between the two. They're constantly arguing between Sanborn and James. And then they have that that kind of moment with um, when they're stuck there in the middle of nowhere shooting down the enemies where they kind of develop more of a respect for each other. And then that cues them back at the barracks and they're all screwing around, swigging right out of the bottle, punching each other in the stomachs, just like bonding to a point until it goes too far and then they bond again you know typical typical dude shit right (laughs) typical dude shit but it all kind of it comes back to another spot later in the movie where i mentioned he approached a car that uh was a concern of a bomb the car gets shot as he's approaching it lights up on fire and he just calmly 
James runs over, picks up a fire extinguisher, puts out the fire. And then he's trying to open the car. So he's like kicking the trunk of the car where they think the bomb is. And he tells everybody else, all right, look around the area. It's fine. And then he's like, oh, shit, there are enough explosives in here to like kill us all. So he comes back. He just starts taking off his big bomb suit. He's like, screw this. Like, I'm not wearing this massive thing. Everyone's like, what are you doing? What are you doing? What are you doing? He's like, he takes all of his equipment off, goes over and just goes calmly. There's enough bang in there to blow us all to Jesus. If I'm going to die, I want to die comfortable. And then he just walks back over calmly, analyzes the situation, gets in the car, and he's looking and looking, trying to figure out where this all ties together so he can disarm it. In there, way too long. He can't figure it out, but you can tell it's in his head that he's like, I can't leave without figuring this figuring this out. I need to do this. Like, I cannot fail. I'm going to figure it out. Everybody needs to calm the hell down. And Sanborn keeps asking him, what's up? We got to go. People are watching us. We got to go. We got to go. He rips his headset off, throws it out of the car, just like, everybody shut the fuck up. Let me work on this thing. And then after a few more minutes, he just, like, pops up out of the car. He goes, all right, it's done. Let's go. <laughs> just like nothing happened. Everybody's like, what? What the hell is going on? Yeah, he's like a very cavalier character who obviously is is experienced. Yeah. But he just kind of treats it like, eh, you know, everything we do is life or death. So I'm kind of going into it like, obviously I'm trying to keep us alive, but, yeah, you know, crap happens. For sure. And that's, I think, one of the reasons why at least the guys in the movie were baffled when it's like, oh, yeah, I have a wife that eh, kind of on again, off again, a wife where maybe we're not divorced yet and a kid at home. And they're like, what? You do this and you have like a family? Like, how do you even like comprehend that? And at the end, there's kind of a touching moment with him and Sanborn where he's just like, Sanborn's like, I can't do this. I'm done. I got to go. I, I, I want a family. I want a son. I, I can't do this anymore. It's too risky after he sees what happened to everybody else and some of his friends die and he just looks at James he's like, how do you do it? You have a son and a family at home. How how do you even like wrap your mind around being out here? And he just is like, oh, I don't know. I guess I just don't think about it. And it's like, what the hell? Like this guy clearly has no conscience is what it comes across for a good part of the movie. But then they do, I think, a pretty good job of humanizing him between his relationship with Owen, trying to kind of bring him along and not berate him. But also there's a little kid in the area near the barracks, um, an Iranian kid who's selling DVDs and like other mm -hmm. things just to make a couple bucks. So he buys a DVD from him one time and then he goes over. He's like, what the hell with this DVD, man? It doesn't work like you said it would. And then he plays soccer with the kid and kind of starts developing a little bit of a bond with him, maybe to to make up for him not being there for his own his own child at home. Maybe it's some type of way that he's mentally dealing with that without realizing it. And then later in the movie, when it's found out that that kid dies because he was forced to be a body bomb, so they put a bomb, like cut him open and put a bomb inside of him, is when you see James for the first time, like really show emotion. He breaks down, like he's like, everybody go out, I'll handle it. And then he like breaks down, is like, I can't, I, he was going to blow up the whole thing. He's like, I can't, I can't do this. And he carries the kid out in his arms, who's 100% dead. And he's like, no, we, we can't leave him in there like that. We need to take him back and when he gets back to the barracks he's like i need to figure out who do, did this so he talks to the guy that was working with the kids selling dvds he's like where is he where is beckham is what the kid's name was he's like oh i don't know so he forces the guy to drive him 
got by gunpoint and is like sneaks out, puts a gun up to his head when he sneaks into his car and says, "Drive me to where he is right now. I want to figure out who is responsible for his death." And the guy takes him to a house that he claims was Beckham's, and he breaks into this house just recklessly with a gun, finds a guy at a dining room table or something, and is just like, "What the hell? What's Beckham? Beckham? Why did you do this to Beckham?" And he's just like, "What are you? What are you talking about? I'm a professor." I don't know anything you're talking about. And then he just is like, uh, 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 mm-hmm. and then just like gets out of there and has no way to get back. So he starts running back <laughs> to the barracks and gets stopped before he gets in. Cause you're obviously not supposed to be out running into the barracks at such a late hour. And, uh, one funny part is he's like, Hey, I'm here, you know, uh, I'm us. Here's my, all my credentials and stuff. I have a gun. Like I'm just coming back. And the guy who's patting him down is like, where were you? What the hell? He goes, I was at the whorehouse. And he goes, if I let you in, will you just tell me where that is located? And then I'll let you in. No problem. He goes, yeah, yeah, yeah. No problem. <laughs> like, what? So that's it. That's how he kind of bartered to get yeah. back in, you know? And then as soon as he gets back in, they had to go out for, for you know, one more big bomb analysis or something. Which is when he just puts his entire team at risk. Because mentally, I think he's still reeling from the losing the kid, the kid dying and not being able to solve that or fix that problem. When they get to this new bomb site, he's looking around. He's like, I don't think it was a a suicide bomber. I think they set it off from a distance. Let's go see if we can find out where they set it off and who's responsible. And that's not their job. They're supposed to analyze the bomb, right? And they're just like, "This, this is what we do. He's like, I'm your team leader. This is an order. This is what we're doing. So they just go out into the darkness, the three of them, Split up because splitting the party always works, right? Yes, in our experience on D and D, less high stakes. And then he just uh, they hear some gunshots and realize Owen's been captured. Like, oh shit! They are able to get him back. They shoot the guys that took him down, but he gets shot in the leg. I think part of that friendly fire and gets his femur shattered in nine places, and then gets carried out on. Uh, copter later on and is just ripping James a new one like you you're so damn selfish you don't give a shit you put us all at risk you motherfucker blah 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 and then Sanborn's like all right see he's like yeah it's good to see you Sanborn I'll catch you later like just changes his tone completely when he's talking to the other guy it was just uh it was a pretty heavy movie not as big as Fury I thought it was pretty good. The acting was great. Um, really, J- or <laughs> Runner played James very well. Uh, it's I feel like a little bit of a tough character to play because you need to. He needs to be likable, but he also needs to be kind of a renegade asshole at points. And he walks that line pretty well. So, and you can kind of tell how it all sits with him when he gets back home. And the first thing you see back home is he's in a grocery store and he's just like, "What am I doing here?" He's overwhelmed with the choices. I think probably a common experience of people who've been away so long. Um, I feel like I watched a video not too long ago, something different, or someone had been in prison for like a long time, and he went to the store and he was like, how are there a million cereal options? Because while he was away, there was three. And so it's like the whole world can change while you're away. And so, um, you know, being in service is almost a comfort. I know what that says. I know the high pressure stakes. I know home that's so that's something foreign to me now yeah um one scene stuck out to in that movie is when um renner's character is pulling this bomb in the ground um that's like tied oh to that, these... that's like the eight yeah yes. i think that was the first 
Tom, yeah, that was the first bomb he went on with them. And yeah, so, like, yeah, so you know what bombs are in the ground, so he's, he's careful, and he sees one, he starts to pull it a little, and it's pulled to all these attached bombs, and it's it's crazy. You realize, like, oh, my God, there's there's a ton connected to each other. And he diffuses it, and he sees this man yep. run from the building, and they stop. So Renner's defuses bomb, and then this guy is just panicked, like, was run, trying to run past him. They stare at each other. And Runner holds yep. up the piece of the bomb that he defused. Like, ha, like, I know you did it. And you, you're not blowing me up today. Like, I stopped you. And then the man runs off, and you see him drop um, the, the, detonator. the detonator. And so what a moment to see this guy, to look someone in the eyes, like, you were trying to kill me, and I bested you. And go run off, but, oh, man. And I bested you myself yes. it was me there were eight things i had to disarm or defuse i think it was eight that he had to disarm or defuse in that scenario and he just went one by one bam 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 sees the guy come down and you're right that was a great scene where he just kind of looks at him he's like what bitch i got it yeah you it ain't was doing shit <laughs> oh my god chill and then of course the when the man with the bomb i don't feel talk about yeah, that yeah that that's was another moment. i was kind of rushing through the, my uh, my thing at the end there because i was talking for way too long but at the end, with two days left, there's a bomb. A guy strapped with a bomb in the middle of the street, a bomb vest, and everybody is just like, "Hey, he came up. He's a nice guy." He was like, "Hey, I don't want this. I do not want to blow up. Like somebody help me." And everybody's like, "Hey, we we can't. Like he's just trying to draw you in." And Jeremy Renner's character, James, is like, "Screw it. I'll go and give me the suit." And he goes in. And he's like, "Holy shit! This guy's loaded up." There's a, like a, a steel frame holding everything in place with tons of padlocks that you can't get off like all of them and still save him because there's also a timer on it that has like two and a half minutes when he gets to him. And he's just like, shit, um, okay, let me figure this out. He doesn't immediately run away because first of all, there's no way you're you're diffusing that in two minutes, right? And getting to safety. So he calls over Sanborn. He's like, all right, give me some bow cutters and everything. I'll start chipping away. And then he gets like one or two padlocks off and he's just like, uh, he looks at the guy like helpless and you can tell he's like, I, I'm sorry, like, I'm sorry, I I can't, there's 30 seconds left. And he tells everybody else to get back while he's still there looking in the, the guy in his eyes because he feels so helpless in that situation because every other time he's been able to save the day, but he's been able to defuse the bomb. But that time with a guy who is not responsible or so it seemed of putting it on himself, he was forced to. So an innocent person, and he's just staring at him like, I, "This, I'm right. sorry, I, I don't know what to do. I can't help you." And at the last second, he turns and runs away, and he's in the bomb suit, so he's able to survive. But it, it was not that he's just reckless, but he wants to be useful. He wants to help people, mm -hmm. and this is how he feels he can. It's, it's a thing in his yeah. mind. It's he's the best at that. I'm the best at this. I can do this all day. I'm useful. I'm good at it. This is where I should be. This is where I can do the most good. Not at home. Right. I don't. He. It seems like he doesn't feel useful. He doesn't know how to handle the different pressures at home. But when he's in that pressurized environment in war, he is in his element. Mm -hmm. So it, it is kind of a weird dynamic. And that's what you see, at least with a lot of these movies and veterans that come back are... You know, it's tough for them to adapt. Mm -hmm. And the movie ends kind of, I think, in the perfect way where he gets off a, a plane and it says 365 days left in rotation. So he went back out starting a whole brand new year rotation. So, Yeah, I mean, it's it, it was 
there's so many emotional moments, so many like high stakes, obviously. And t- this bomb suit is not just like <laughs> uh, something simple. It's almost like an old school submarine. So it's this yeah, huge puffy yeah. suit, and you're kind of walking around like the kid. And uh, what's that Chris- Christmas story? Uh, Christmas story. Yeah, yeah, where he's like in the snowsuit and he can't move. It's like an extremely thick um, covered suit. And so when he was like, "I'm not dying in this," it's because you're puffed out like that. Yeah. And so I even though the other guy did die in it and was probably farther away from the bond to start the movie. Yes. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So it just it, yeah, it was such a good movie. I love hearing these scenes and hearing you recap them. Yeah, it was it was really good. Um, my wife did not want to watch it with me. That was one because she's like, that's too heavy for me. I don't want to watch that. And I was like, yeah, I guess I don't blame you. But like she did end up seeing some of it. And mm-hmm. I think kind of got hooked once she yeah. started watching a little bit of it. Because it's kind of similar to yours with Fury where there's not a shit ton that happens. Right. right? There's like four different bomb scenarios that he diffuses. And then it's kind of the relationship of the, the bomb squad together and how they interact. And how he kind of um, integrates with them, which is that he doesn't and they're forced to integrate to how he wants to be. Like it was even the first day he shows up to his room. They're like, oh, we're covering these windows for X, Y, and Z. He goes, okay, well, I want to look outside. So I don't care. Yeah. And then he just starts blasting metal like in his little room, which I thought was pretty funny. But all in all, good movie. I do have a couple fun facts on it. Everything that was filmed... And for this movie was put into the movie. That's got to oh, wow. be super, super rare. So that's just a director like yeah. just being super on point and it not being like a four hour movie. It was a little over two. Runner injured himself a couple times, including his anchor, ankle during filming. Nothing too major. It was filmed in Jordan on site um, in a safe zone at the time of filming. So no, uh, military backlash there, but they did not have any like special security with them. It was just the private security for the filming, which is, I thought pretty interesting. And some initial people that were rumored to be in the movie were Colin Farrell and Charlize Theron. Who do you think Charlize Theron would have been? Oh God. I didn't see who she was. I don't. Maybe they would have switched it. The bomb squad would have had a woman in. It. Like I'm not sure. Oh God, now I would love to see it. Because what other women are in the movie besides his wife? At yeah. The end? There's like none. None. Wow, yeah. that would have. I mean, Charlize Theron, action superstar. So I, I would have loved to have seen it. Maybe she may have been too big at the time, right? With definitely not a Jeremy Renner character, but I could see her as one of the ones like, "What are you doing?" You know, like yeah, like the Anthony Mackie, right, right, yeah, because she couldn't be Owen, the the specialist no, no. dweeb dude. Now she'd have to not be believable. No, she's too good. <laughs> at the time, it won the Oscar. It was also the lowest grossing film ever to win the Best Picture Oscar, which was recently just passed with Nomadland this past oh, year. Oh yeah, yeah, which. Nobody saw and it won the Oscar, but that was a little bit different circumstances with the pandemic and theaters not being fully open. So I think there's a little bit of an asterisk on uh, Nomadland taking that that crown. All right, Kayla. So now that we are done with our movie reviews, let's do our movie ratings. What do you give Fury out of six VHS tapes? I'm going to give Fury five out of six VHS tapes. I think there wasn't, and and I usually qualify this by... There's not much I would have changed, honestly, in the film. Like, I thought it was a complete film. It was a complete story. There's, There weren't a lot of questions. If anything, I wanted to see more about the characters before yeah. kind of these last final scenes. But there wasn't anything that I really 
had questions on. I thought it was just a really good tell, told story. So yeah, five out of six VHS tapes. Wow, that's higher than I thought you would give it. Mm-hmm. All right. Yeah, I'm I really impressed. liked it. It was different. Yeah. I would give uh, The Hurt Locker five out of six VHS tapes right. as well. It was good. It's it's one of those movies where, like you said, there needs to be time that passes before I watch it again. But I thought it was done very well. It kind of got the actors at the perfect time. Jeremy Renner really uh, was great as that character. I, I loved how he pulled it off. And I do kind of like, like, one thing that bothers me in movies once in a while is when they have the throwaway dialogue that is solely there to give you background information mm-hmm. that doesn't make sense. So yep. I like how it wasn't just like, oh, hey, Owen, where are you from? Oh, are you from uh, Nebraska with that? And you came from here and mm-hmm. you went to college here yep. and you're doing yep. this? And it just has no relevance in the movie and it just kind of is to give you background information. They didn't do that in this movie or in Fury, I, I think, really to that scale. But I think I would have liked, maybe not a flashback, but something to tell me a little bit about Owen. Has he only been there for a few months? Has he been there a year? What about Sanborn? Is this his fifth year out? Like, is he a vet? Has he been there a while? I just wanted to know more of their standing in that specific area, number one, but also in the military. Because Owen seemed very new. Sanborn seemed experienced, and then Jeremy Renner seems like a crazy person. So <laughs> yeah. I wanted to kind of compare the the time that they've spent in those situations. You know what? I agree, because your movie had a lot of scenes that were just moments, and they weren't rehashing things. They weren't ta- sharing old war stories. True. They weren't they weren't giving you that context. Even in the telling, not showing, right? Um, in yeah. writing, you usually say the opposite. But whereas in my film, they're in a tank, so guess what? You're killing time in a tank yeah. while you're waiting. And they're having that, like... You know, we were, you know, in Africa fighting in the war, and this is how this person got the name, you know? There was a little more of that, so you felt like you were learning about them. Yeah, the only thing that was kind of like that in The Hurt Locker was when they're bonding after the the big uh, kind of shootout they had. He has, a like, a box under his bed, James does, and they all are looking through, and it's like, what's that? He goes, that's stuff that's almost killed me. And it's a whole bunch of random, like, um, little things he's disarmed or items that have almost killed him for bomb uh, disarmings over his career is 873 or mm-hmm. whatever it was. And in that box was also his wedding ring. And they right. hold it up. It's like, yeah. what's this doing in here? It's like, oh, it's my wedding ring. Like I said, things that almost killed me. <laughs> the wedding oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> So that was a pretty, a pretty funny line. But they didn't talk too much about the kid and the wife. He did call home one time. And just didn't say anything. Like, he couldn't muster it up. And the wife's just like, is that you? Is that, hello, hello? Do you want to talk to your son? And he just hangs up and is like, nope, I can't deal with that. I think mentally it would have taken him out of, kind of, he needs to be in the zone to do that bomb disarming constantly, right? You can't have any um, hesitation, which if, like I've said before, you have family back at home, you may be hesitant to go in there to disarm something because you don't want to die because it's going to affect others that you love. Yes, yeah, totally. I think of uh, when my dad was in South Korea, he, you know, was going to put in his time, and then he happened to be in Korea at the time with, you know, Gulf War was almost happening. It was the 90. I was, I was born in April in the 90. Um, and, you know, he's thinking, oh, I'm going to be here for this short stint. And they're like, uh, war's happening, so we can't tell you when you're going to leave. And I was Oof. like, 
record scratch. Um, what? <laughs> and so, you know, sometimes my mom still has some tapes that she sent to him, and um, sometimes she tells me she has to fast forward them, and I go, Ugh. Um, oh. But, you know, it's, it's got to be hard to hear you're so far away um, to hear back from home and have that distance. And I think eventually, you know, sometimes people become a renter where it's just almost easier, like, you're having your life, I'm separate, and now I'm just, it's easier for me to be here than there, which is kind of crazy. Yeah, I, not anything I can really relate with. I mean, I've had my, my grandfather was in the military and my great-grandfather, um, I wasn't, my dad wasn't, so I don't have any, like, super personal experience. Mm-hmm. Um, my grandpa was in the Navy, uh, so I've heard some good stories from him. He wasn't, uh, during any war conflicts or anything he went around to a lot of different places uh but you know that's something where i wish i would have spent more time talking to my Mm -hmm. grandpa and my great-grandfather about their experiences Mm -hmm. you know when i was younger and i can uh, appreciate it more you know because when when you're young it's like all right well why do I care about things that happened in the past? But why, as you get older, you're like, I really would like to know more about what you went through there, know more stories, and you know, it's something I kind of regret not yeah. uh, not pushing the pushing that a little bit more with my grandpa and trying to learn more about him through his military experience. Yeah, I feel like I feel like hindsight's always that, right? Yeah. Um, but it, it's it's remarkable to hear and and you know what people um, you know go through and I think these films give you a perspective you know that maybe you don't have if you don't have someone in your life like a grandpa mm-hmm. or a dad you know or an aunt or whoever and so that you can kind of I mean this is people are still in it now and so it's it's I think it's important to see things like this um, just like it's important to see a lot of other different types of worlds that people yeah. are living and experiencing and because that makes you well-rounded and interesting, I think. I think that was the longest rating session yeah. that we ever had. All right. What do we got next, Kayla? All I think right. we got Swarly you of the Week. You know it's Swarly <laughs> of the Week time, and I'm ready to just go first again. Fine. I'm going to have to go to Conor McGregor, who... <laughs> I am a big fan of, and I gotta say, the tide is turning these days. He's making it very hard to be a fan. Now, listen, when you're when you're a fighter, really anyone that talks a lot of smack, it only really works when you back it up, right? And <laughs> so, when you're crushing it and talking bad about your opponent, it works because you won. Now he's been having some uh, losing streaks, to say the least. And he, I can't say he's being very graceful in defeat. You know, he's an arch rival, um, Habib, and uh, who tweeted. Now they, I mean, they disliked each other so much when they fought. They had a brawl afterwards. Yep. Um, but Habib tweeted, "Good always defeats evil," and then like congratulated Justin Poirier on winning, and Connor had lost from Doctor Stoppage, um, and then Connor tweeted. COVID good and father is evil. And the context for that is that Habib is was very close with his dad. Like, that was his coach. Oh, like, that's messed and, up. You know what I mean? And, and in Muslim culture, it's like dad family is, is life. And his dad actually passed away from COVID last year. Um, and so he wrote, when Connor wrote COVID good and father is evil, you know, like, that was terrible. He quickly... De- 
deleted it. Now, I actually thought it was fake because it's trending yeah. um, on Twitter. And so I'm like, mm, does someone just like, would he really say something like that? But he sure did. He's such a, like, there's a point to, like, the showmanship. Like, all right, I'm going to talk shit. I'm going to do all this. I want to make sure people are watching my fights and listening into me. And I always have kind of that spotlight on me. But when you get kind of like, to that level, like you're you're basically ragging on somebody's father who died due to a pandemic. Like right, that's right. way over yes, the line. Yes, yes. And I mean, Connor had been over the line with Habib in particular many times. I just, I think that, you know, animosity builds fights, right? And I'm just gonna be on record. UFC fans, MMA fans are for the most part pretty terrible, and so they're receptive to that type of stuff. I just think that is just horrible and yeah. i think that there has to be a line there just there just has to and what, even if you hate someone and you make fun of them or whatever there's just some things that i think aren't funny and aren't in any spirit that you should say say think it don't tweet it is what i'm saying and you know that's good advice for everyone people think it don't tweet it <laughs> fair but also we will be uh live tweeting uh the bachelor tonight we so. sure were <laughs> the bachelor <laughs> Oh wow, no. Never mind. <laughs> we don't re- but I did watch the Bachelor Reunion show. Did you? So mm-hmm. that's uh was not good at all. <laughs> anyway, um so my Swarly of the Week is going to be not streaming services, specifically Apple TV. Okay. Apple TV you know, we talked about they kinda get you in with that free first year. Mm-hmm. Okay, not too much on the service yet. Now stuff's starting to come back once my year is up. So obviously I'm going to pay the $5 a month for a few more months to make sure I watch the shows I want. That's not the issue. The issue is they release things week by week. What the hell? It, we're in a binge culture nowadays. I'm used to going through a whole season <laughs> in a night or at least give me three episodes every week. I can't do this one episode every week bullshit because it just throws off my entire week. Like we were watching, my wife and I are watching the show Physical, which is pretty good. Mm-hmm. And obviously Ted Lasso just came out. And I'm like, what the hell? I was planning the whole night last night we were going to watch uh, new episodes and we only got through one episode of Ted Lasso because that's all that's on there right now. Oh, see, I thought the whole season dropped. I didn't realize no. it was once a week because I've been rewatching. I'm currently rewatching the first season. So good. To kind of like prepare because it's been a bit. Wow. Hulu does the same thing. Like The Handmaid's Tale is week is by is the it week. week to week. Yeah. Oh. And so you have to wait for Wednesdays. But interesting. Yeah. Apple, you know, I agree. I also hit my free year for having an iPhone and now I pay. Um, don't appreciate that, because guess what? I am going to keep paying for Ted Lasso. <laughs> Apple, you know that, you greedy Fs, and rude. Yeah, I completely agree. <laughs> All right, let's go into our friendship question of the week, as we're running a little late on the pod, as we normally do on movie reviews. So, Kayla, when do I annoy you or embarrass you? You know what? I've gone first twice. Maybe you should go first Okay, on this times one. that you annoy or embarrass <laughs> me, putting me uh-huh. on the spot. Um, yep, give it to so me. So I will give the kind of a preamble here that it's not every time, but one thing that <laughs> frustrates <laughs> <Nice>. me <laughs> yep. is every time you speak. No. Um, <laughs> oh, crap. We do a podcast. <laughs> uh, damn, yeah. I can't stand this. I'd say one thing that's kind of annoying for me is... When we're at a movie theater and you're talking throughout the movie. <laughs> and if I'm into it, sometimes I'm into it too. And if the movie theater's fairly empty, like I'm fine with it. But when it's a packed theater, 
Sometimes I'm like, all right, Kayla, shut up. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, I don't want to put anything um, racially, but I am half black. And that is, <laughs> that is very much the culture. Well, and I so was we never talk, going to say that. So <laughs> We talk through movies all the time. Um, and so that is so funny. Yeah, I do that. I at do home, do that. When we watch movies at home, I 100% am down with it. But most of the time I do it at home, I will pause so we can share thoughts and then continue so that we don't miss any dialogue. In the theater, you can't do that. That is so... I'm laughing right That's so funny. Yeah, <laughs> totally culprit. Sorry, people that I go to movies with. I just can't contain myself. <laughs> <laughs> all right, so I'm up. Um... I would say... Nothing, because I'm just perfect in every way. No, no, that can't possibly be it. Um, I'll say that we can get... Uh, you can get a little passive-aggressive sometimes. <laughs> and, you know, I think you know what can really get at me. Um, I think it's my... Not just you, but my friends are very amused when I actually get upset. And uh, you will just you will just hit. And I, I say you were one of the few people, few of my friends that just know... Actually, probably the only one, actually. I'm just going to give it to you that know just what to say to keep it going. And I, I have a pretty good tolerance, but you know just just the one time in particular I'm thinking of we were playing a game. Yep. And I go, if he says one more thing. And you did. And it was pretty explosive. And I think everyone cried laughing. But you just know, you just know how to get me. I'll post that video on Instagram because it was... Great if you're referring to the Dungeons and Dragons <laughs> yes, stuff. Yes, I am. Because I was, there. it gets to a point, and I'm guilty, so sorry, Kayla, um, <laughs> to a point where I can see that it, it's like you are on the edge. And I do sometimes poke and prod because I think it's going to be hilarious <laughs> when you actually blow up. Yep, yep, yep. Because, like I said, it takes me a while, but when I do, it is explosive. I think you do not do it a lot because if you did, we probably we wouldn't be, be friends. We would not be friends doing a podcast together every yeah. week. But um, you definitely do enough where I'm like, you beep. <laughs> so, yeah, that's it for me. <laughs> Um, so before we finish out, we want to say our new strategy or new thing we're doing for movie, um, of course our movie once a month, we're going to be picking from a hat and we have a list of genres, themes, some super specific, Mm -hmm. some pretty general like military movies. Um, and that's how we're going to pick our movie. And that way we don't have to kind of think of it each, you know, it's to fate. It's to the hat fate, if you will. So who, who picked the military one that was, that I did. You? So I'm going to say you pick, so I will hold the hat Ooh. and Justin is going to pick our next movie. This is a lot of pressure here. It needs oh, a good God. one. Here I'm going to, I'm going to get like war movies. You probably are. <laughs> okay. He's opening it. Martial now. arts. Martial arts. What? Movies. Did you put that one in there? Maybe I did. That's not what I put in there. Uh, Martial art movies. Okay. Oh, man, that's... Damn it. <laughs> that's not what I'm looking for. We may not to. have a super big pool, but... <laughs> Bruce Lee? Yeah, yeah, I'll count it. Um, so, okay, that's our next pick for next month. Awesome. So, with that, I'm going to say, see you next week. Well, that's it this week for Wrong Opinions Only. Follow us on Instagram at Wrong Opinions Only and on Twitter at Wrong Opinions JK, where we'll be dropping some clues and hints towards next week's episode. Until then, JK out.